Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. The series is called Get Smart. So turn to your neighbor and say, I want you to get smart. <laughs> Come on, turn to someone else and say, I want you to get smart. You know, there was an old TV show. I don't know if you remember it. You all, some of you remember it. I used to love it. It's called Get Smart, right? And Maxwell Smart, who was the main character of the show, well, he w- didn't really have very smart ideas, which is kind of ironic. So, but this series is about everyday moments of our lives, right? Moments that actually change our lives. And we're living in some of the most important moments of our lives. And sometimes we don't even notice it. Because it goes by so quickly, we don't pay attention to the small moments. And we're living in these moments that pass by so quickly and we miss it. And then we realize later down the track, hey, I should have been paying attention. Because see, sometimes we don't see value in small moments. We often let them escape and pass us by and pay, we pay little or no attention to them. So, but, but in this series, we want to actually help lean into some of the simple moments that actually have the most profound effect in our life. So in this series called Get Smart, we'll discover the beauty of the small hidden moments of our life. Amen? Amen. So today's message is called No Ordinary Days. No Ordinary Days, right? Because some of us, we just think we have mundane lives, but there's no such things as ordinary days. You know, one of the most important moments of my life was my wedding day to my beautiful, wonderful wife, Chanel. There's a lovely picture of us on the screen in front of Parliament House. You know, and I can still remember the day, right? We we were in church and, you know, everyone was gathered together and I was standing up at the front like I'm standing up right now and, you know, the groomsmen were there. And then they said the bride is going to enter and they started playing the music and everyone was there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and there was no bride. (laughs) The song ran out and everyone was looking and I was thinking, oh my gosh, maybe she's changed her mind. (laughs) So they played the song again and they went out and got her because they told her to wait in the car that someone would get her, but they forgot that she was in the car. So not really her fault, but eventually anyway, she came up the aisle, we got married, and it was an amazing moment of my life. One of the most special moments of my life, to marry my beautiful best friend, Chanel. Put your hands together for the wonderful pastor, Chanel. You know, last week, I came and I left and actually had to go do a wedding, and something very similar happened exactly the same, right? They play the music and the bride wasn't there. <laughs> and, I, and I told the grooms, like, don't worry, you know, it's going to be okay. But it happens so often, right? We have memories and moments that are so special to us that we bring photographers and videographers and everything because we want to capture that moment. We want to hold it in memory as long as we can. We print up photos, we stick photos on our houses. When people come over, you're like, let's check out our wedding album. You know, and there's moments in our life that are special, and they should be very special because they're great moments, right? 
But for most of us, we all have special moments as well, right? If I said to you, what are the 10 most amazing memories of your life? You'd be able to tell me a few of them. Because you have some memories that you think about. Your family reunion, maybe. Your wedding day, maybe. The birth of your first child, right? Your first job, or a new job, or a job that you're dreaming of, or a job opportunity, or move to a new city. Something that is a very special moment in your life. It's a vivid memory. Standing there holding your daughter or son for the very first time. You remember that. All your attention, all your focus is right there. And so it's, it's sealed in our memory. Those important moments, those big moments that leave huge impressions and huge impacts in our memory. And so often we measure our lives by these big moments, these tentpole moments, right? But most of our lives, however, are not these tentpole experiences. Most of our lives are filled with just everyday moments, daily activities, you getting up, you going to work. You doing your job, you coming home, you making dinner, you watching TV, you going to bed, and then you do it over and over again. Most of our lives are filled with ordinary moments. And we tend to forget them because they don't seem very significant in our life. It's just the daily humdrum activity. The going to work, the coming to home, taking the kids to soccer, you know, doing your daily routine, laundry. Who wants to remember laundry, right? Do you have any great memories of doing laundry? Probably not. Because those moments don't matter in our lives, it seems. Yet, for us to understand, it's the small decisions, the small moments that actually have the power to steer us in the course of our life. Because we don't give weight to small moments. And oftentimes, because we don't give weight to small moments, we are more prone to making errors in judgment and decisions that eventually would lead us off course. So a number of small decisions will end up take you to a place that you didn't want to be in. The small moments may not feel significant, but ultimately they end up changing everything. One of these small moments is found in a small book hidden away in the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Right? And this story is very profound because it doesn't have any flashy miracles. Like some of the other stories like Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these wonderful things of miracles happening. But this, this book, this story, doesn't have any of that flashy moments. If it was a movie, it wouldn't be a summer blockbuster, right? It wouldn't be one of those movies where buildings are blowing up and there's a huge car scene and you have Brad Pitt or Liam Neeson or Jennifer Aniston starring in this movie. No, none of that would be happening in this book, right? It might be a little bit boring, but the women, I think, would really love it because most of the story is about two women having conversation about their life. And so... Most of it is just dialogue, and there's no major miracles, and no parting of the seas, and no fire from heaven, and no one raising the dead. And and if this story was a movie, this would actually be a chick flick, right? And so men, before you get bored and say, you know, I'm checking out of this, I want you to pay attention to the little moments, because like any woman, she loves the diamond rings. And she loves the beautiful necklace, right? Those things they love. But she would love you because you open the car door for her. 
and you sit her down at the restaurant and you take out her seat and you open the front door for her and when you walk in you smile and you hug her and you look her deeply in the eyes and you passionately kiss her like any woman when you hold her hand and walk down and have romantic views of the sunset they might love the stuff they give you but they love you for the small moments you make in their lives so men don't get bored of the small moments we like the flashiness but it's the small moments that make a difference in a woman's life and so we encounter these two women yeah the women are clapping hands men <laughs> it's like you better give me that romance right now <laughs> And so we encounter these two women, right? They call Ruth and Naomi. And they're having this deep, meaningful conversation about their future. Men pay attention. <laughs> right? They're having this deep conversation. But before this small moment, and it's a decision that they make so lightly, it seems, but it passes by so quickly that it's barely worth paying attention to. And, but it's the moment that brings these, that it's the situation that brings these two together that is significant, right? So let me tell you a little bit about them. Naomi is one of the characters in this book. It's the book of Ruth. And she, she was living a great life with a husband called Elimelech. Right? Elimelech and Naomi lived in the beautiful town of Bethlehem and all was going well, right? And then eventually they had two sons and it looked like things were just going well in their life. Just like our lives, right? We get up and, you know, we, we try to progress in life and we get married or we go to get an education and get a job and then we're married and then we have kids and things are going well and it looks like a great outlook, a great future. Things are going well and just like their family, their little family was doing great. But then some external situation happened that forced them to reevaluate their existence. There was a famine that hit Bethlehem. And maybe we're not familiar with that situation in our modern context because we've never, all of us have never ever been to a place where we're desperately hungry. Never. We live in a developed world and if you want some food, you can go to your refrigerator. If the refrigerator isn't full, you can just go down to some fast food joint grocery store and you can get food. So most of us have never ever experienced the truth of actual hunger. We might say we are hungry, but that's different from experiencing famine. And so this was a desperate situation because people would die. Lives would be destroyed. Families would be destroyed. They couldn't just send out for Uber Eats because they were a little bit peckish, right? And so like any good husband, Elimelech wanted to look after his family. And you can imagine... He's responsible for his little family. He's responsible for his wife, Naomi. He's responsible for his two sons. And, and even though they lived in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, if you didn't know this, Bethlehem literally meant the house of bread. But there was no bread in the house. And they had to try and figure this out and what to do about their family. And everyone, every good husband, wants to look after their family. And everyone in those days, though, you know, I have to understand this, is that their names were associated with their destiny. Like, in our modern context, we like giving children names because we think they're attractive or cool or, or cool-sounding. 
but we don't really look into the meaning of names. But in that time, everyone's name actually meant something, and it was tied into where they would actually end up. It was kind of prophetic. So the husband, Elimelech, his name meant, my God is king. What an awesome name, right? My God is king. His parents named him well. And so my God is king is going through life, and he saw this beautiful looking woman. He says, wow, you look really attractive. I think I'm going to make you my wife. Guess what her name was? Naomi, which means sweet and pleasant. So she must have been sweet, right? So they decided, you know what, let's get together. Let's have a family. Let's plant our roots. We're doing some amazing things. Let's plan our future. And then they had these two sons. They decided these two sons, we're going to name these two sons. They're great. We wanted kids all the time. And this probably gives us a hint into their future. But so they had the first son and they named him Mahon, which means sick or sickly, right? It's like, well, why would you name your kid sick? But apparently he wasn't that good in health, so maybe that's why they named him that way. If that wasn't bad, meet son number two. His name is Killian, which means frail or tired, right? So here you have my God is king, and you have sweetness, and hey, let's introduce our sons, sick and tired. <laughs> Imagine what it was like in that house. What would Naomi say to them? Come on, kids, I'm just sick and tired of you carrying on and doing nothing. Right? That was the name of their kids. Sick and tired. So, when this famine hit, I'm sure Lemelech decided, you know what, my kids are already sick and tired. Maybe in this famine is probably not the best place to live. Let's look out and see where we could possibly go. And so Elimelech moves his family from the house of bread, Bethlehem, to Moab, which was about 50 miles, 50 kilometers away. The problem is that God has strictly forbidden his people from interacting with the people in Moab. Because the Moabites were descendants of Moab. And the Moabites worshipped a false god named Chisholm, who they sacrificed their children to. So when they have a child, if maybe a firstborn, they would take it to this deity and they would sacrifice their life child to this. And so they had this idol worship. They had all kind of profane cultures and attitudes. And so God really said to his people, I don't want you to have anything to do with these people. I don't want you to associate with them. I don't want you to marry into them. I don't want you to hang out with them. I don't want you to go for a latte with them. Stay away. But Elimelech, he's at this desperate situation. He can't feed his family. So he decides... You know what? This is not God's way, but this is my way. I'm going to decide to do it this way. So he decides to take his family and move to Moab. You know, he rationalizes like we all do. Hey, there's a better economy there. There's more job opportunities. Maybe we can get a house. Maybe I can provide better there. Maybe I can work some other jobs that are not here. It's difficult right here. Maybe if I do it in my own strength, I can do that. And that's the reality, because the reality is when it comes to our families, we are often tempted with the same thing. We choose economic provision over spiritual protection. All of us do that. 
when it looks like things are going bad, when it looks like things are difficult, we say, hey, show me the money. We don't stay and rest in God and say, God, what is your plan? What is your decision? And remember, his name was Elimelech, which meant my God is king. He is sovereign over my life. When times get tough, what do you do? Do you trust God? Do you obey God? Do you, or do you move out from under his protection saying, hey, I can figure this out by myself. I can do this. I can take care of this. Do you try to figure it out on your own? Or do you say, hey, this is where God put me. And if God put me here, then I know he's going to take care of me. Do you remain faithful to what God says? Especially when the bills begin to pile up, right? When the bank account keeps dropping. When the pressure from work keeps mounting. When the stress in the family is there. When your marriage feels like it's falling apart. That's when temptation looks appealing, doesn't it? That's when it looks like, hey, maybe I can just slip a few dollars that no one's looking into my pocket because I'm desperate. Maybe that girl out there that's giving me the wink is a bit more attractive than my wife. Because, you know what, I'm having trouble right here. That's when you begin to question. That's when it appears like temptation is more attractive. It's when you're going through pressure. So what do you do? Do you obey your marriage vow? Do you stay where God asks you to stay? Do you honor your commitments? Do you honor what God's asked you to do? Or do you rush off to Moab? But what did they do? And I'm not judging Elimelech because, as I said, most of us would do something with less pressure. And so he's scared of his family dying of starvation. And honestly, as I said, most of us would have moved to Moab at the drop of a hat. But when times get tough, Moab looks tempting. But what is the price of trusting ourselves over trusting God. What does it do to our faith, to our life, to our future? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What do you think happened to this wonderful, happy family? What happened to them that decided to leave God's people, leave God's will? Did it work out fine? Well, scriptures tell us this. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons sick and tired and guess what they decided to do they decided to marry some of the Moabite women which they were not supposed to do one of them was named Arpa and another Ruth and they lived there for about 10 years and then guess what happened both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. Decimated the entire family. 
Naomi was less than 50 miles from Bethlehem. But she still decided, after her husband died, to stay in Moab. She stays, and her sons marry these Moabite women, which God had forbidden. You know, maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And the sons thought, hey, she's really cute. She has a good personality. Isn't she great? And they wanted to have a family, so they decided to. But here's the situation. They would have never found Moabite women if they were not in Moab. If they didn't stay there for 10 years. When you are in the wrong place, it's easy to make the wrong decision. See, God tells us things. God warns us about things. And God asks us, to stay within the boundaries of his love. Not because he's some God that wants to be vindictive or spoil our fun or keep us out from enjoying things. No, God puts protection around us because he loves us. He wants to protect us from the unintended pain, the circumstances, the emotional damage, the physical damage, all the things that we love to gather in our lives that do us harm. And so God says, I don't want you to go there because you'll end up in trouble. You'll end up in pain. And in this case, you will end up dead. One bad decision will lead to another and another. Because a bad decision cannot bring a good result. But we rationalize it all the time, right? We make bad decisions and we go, oh, it's just one small bad decision. It's not a big deal. It's not a big issue. What harm can it do? In this case, one bad decision resulted in the decimation of an entire family. And you say that, they had to move there, right? They had to move there. There was a famine. Elimelech was taking care of his family, but Elimelech meant my God is king, and he didn't really honor the king. Because if he had, if he realized who he's talking about, his name, my God is king, well, my God is able to provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's what... God is. That's who God is. He provides. And we should not look at our circumstances and allow that to dictate how we view God. Right? When you go through a difficult season, that's when you need to trust Him more. It's when things are going bad that you need the way maker. When things are hurting in your life, that's when you need God the healer. When things are broken, that's when you need the God who restores. When things are in lack, that's when you need Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. This is not a time to walk in the opposite direction. This is a time to get closer to him. But Elimelech, he decided to walk away. We need to decide, see church, this is important. We need to decide what our values are. And then we live by those values. We don't live by circumstances. When you are value driven and not situation or circumstantial driven, you let your convictions make you decide what's important. It's your values 
that will help you take through, to make a good decision in difficult seasons. Because decisions are easy when your values are clear. We should never allow circumstances or situations to make our decisions. We should always let our values guide our decisions. Imagine what would li- life would be like for you if you didn't give in to every single situation of your life. We react so many times by just situations. Oh my gosh, you need this. You know, the news says that you shouldn't eat eggs. I'm throwing all my eggs out, Right? The next day, the news is saying, eggs are great. You're like, oh my gosh, I just threw out all my eggs. It's up and down. It changes by the weather, like Melbourne weather, right? It changes constantly. So many times in my life, I look back at situations and circumstances and said, I wish I didn't make such a hasty decision. And it's not in the big things, right? Because in the big things, when you're buying big things or making big decisions, you do your due diligence. You do some research. You check things out. You examine things. But it's in the little things, right? That don't seem important. That, oh, it's just a little decision. I'm just, who cares? Do whatever you want, whatever. It's in the little things that we make hasty decisions because we don't place value in them. And it's the little decisions that ultimately take us off course. Do you have in your house a room, a closet, a bedroom, or a garage filled with stuff that you don't use? Things that you were excited for. Things you said, I need to have that. That's going to make my life better. And it did probably for about a week. But it's been five years and you've never touched it. It's been sitting in a room, it's been sitting in a closet, it's been sitting in the garage, taking up space, taking up things in your world. Money that is invested in it. Don't you wish you had that money back to invest maybe in your education? Maybe in your child, maybe in your future? But that money is just sitting there. It's a visual representation of your bad decisions or your momentary decisions, right? So how much money do you think is invested in the stuff that you have sitting around your house that you don't like or don't care for or wish you didn't have? Now it doesn't become a blessing, it's become a burden because it's taking up space and you could rather do that without it. And so, so often we let temporary moments and excitement guide us into decision-making things. And I'm saying this because something... The stuff we own is something visual you can see around your house, right? But what about other decisions that you can't see sitting around your house? The life moments, the financial moments, the educational moments that are not sitting around somewhere for you to look at. What about those moments that you've made inappropriate decisions with? There's nothing sitting there saying, hey, it's bad, but you know it. Every small decision has the potential to take you off course of your desired future. So let me ask you again. Imagine your life if you made good or great small decisions. Where would that life have taken you? How can you make even the small decision count? Here's an example. All of you here this morning made a great decision by being present because you're getting some valuable insights into how to make your life better. But there are a number of people that got up this morning that decided, hey, 
I'm awake, but I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm going to flick on television. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to hang out and have a latte or cappuccino. And didn't show up. Do you think they're getting the valuable information you are? Small decision. This decision could change the course of your life. So I'm glad that you got up. That decision is a great decision. I want you to keep making that decision every Sunday. Be present because you never know what God is about to do in the atmosphere. You never know how God is going to touch your life or change your perspective or give you a new idea or new insight to help you move forward out of that lethargy, out of that complacency into the place that God has called you to. Why wouldn't you want to be here, right? Because this is the place that empowers you. This is the place that makes you feel better about yourself because God loves you and you find value in yourself. And he wants to design a greater future for you. So let me encourage you to keep making good decisions every Sunday because it's important that you gather together to come together because you never know what God can do in a moment that might take you a lifetime. So what happened to Naomi? She has no family left, right? After the death of her family, she finally decides to return to Bethlehem. That's like closing the door after the horse has left, right? It's like, I guess I better return back. And she decides to go back to the house of bread. Meantime, Bethlehem has flourished. There's abundance of food. There's abundance of things happening. And so now she's left. These three women are left by themselves, right? Three widows, no homes, no money, no hope. Because in that time, if you didn't have a man, I'm sorry, it's sexist back then. If you didn't have a man, you couldn't work or do any, earn yourself. You had to kind of rely on the generosity of strangers. Yes, it was bad back then. That's why we have Jesus. So this is where Ruth's story begins. This is where Ruth comes in the picture, which is the name of her book, right? And in contrast to all the bad decisions we've been talking about in Naomi's family, Ruth makes one small good decision. Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, hey, I've decided I'm going back to Bethlehem. You guys go on, go to your family. You know, you're, this is your family. This is your city. You have your family around there. So you go back. So Oprah decides to leave. She goes on to start a TV talk show, right? Changes the name from, changes the R after the piece, Oprah, she starts a TV talk show. But Ruth, Ruth decides to stay. I would encourage you to read the book of Ruth. It's just a few chapters. You'll be reading in like 15 minutes. But here's Ruth with her mother-in-law. Imagine living with your mother-in-law in the best of times. It's a struggle, right? But now her son's dead and you still decide to hang out with your mother-in-law. I imagine there was something appealing about Naomi. Something that was attractive. Because her house was probably just around the corner. Why didn't she go back to her family? Maybe there was something in her family that she wanted to get away from. And there's something attractive about Naomi, you know, and she decides she's made the small decision that would have a huge impact on her life. And so 
here is where one of the most profound statements, and if you read the text, you probably miss it, but it's such an amazing statement. It's a famous verse, amazing faith statement, but this is what Ruth replies. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She made a massive declaration of loyalty to, to Naomi and to commit to the God of Israel. A God she had not known growing up, but she had found as she joined this family. I imagine that even though Elimelech left and came to Moab, they still worshipped the God of Israel, right? And she heard about this God and she heard about who he was and what he did and all these things. And there was something there that she said, hey, I want to be part of. And so she followed. There was something appealing about this to Ruth. And she decided to follow Naomi to Bethlehem. And Ruth and Naomi, they left Bethlehem and they, they left Moab, sorry, and returned to Bethlehem. And this is true for all of us, right? This is true, so true. No matter where we wander from God, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we did it, we have the opportunity to return to God. We are not cut off. We're never separated that far that we can't turn around and say, God, I made a mistake. I'm going to come back home. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to find my face in your face. I'm going to turn my face towards you. I'm going to come back to your loving embrace. It doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've done it, how far you feel from God. God is gracious and loving and forgiving. And we can always return to him because he is a gracious God. And in spite of all the bad decisions we might have made, you can make one good decision to come back. And, now, and Ruth made one decision. Decisions that we've made might have caused us to end up in financial difficulties, emotional situations, relationship situations that cause us pain, and decisions that bring us harm. But we can make one decision to go back to him. Or to follow him. And this highlights one of the most important truths. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. Ruth made one decision to turn her back on Moab and go to God in Bethlehem. One decision, one act of relationship, one choice that changed her life, her legacy, and the course of the world. And you say, really changed the course of the world? This woman deciding to follow Naomi changed the world. Yes, it did. She met a man named Boaz. She married him. She had kids. And she was the great-grandmother of King David. And maybe you heard about a little town called Bethlehem, the house of bread. We sing about it every Christmas. You know why? Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he is the bread of life. And he came from Bethlehem. Jesus was born there. And this woman, Ruth, is an ancestor of Jesus. She is in the lineage of Jesus because she made one small decision. To leave Moab and go to Bethlehem. And small decisions in our life can help steer us to the place that God has for us. 
Maybe for some of us, we're at some point in our life that we've made that decision to walk away and go to Moab, just like Elimelech did. We've wandered away from God. We've stepped away from his protection. We've stepped away from his grace. we step away from his will, saying, I got this. I've got the control of this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't need you. I got it all together. And we found ourselves in trouble. And maybe some of us, we're living in the church or in, in God's will, but some parts of our life are still in Moab. We might have given some parts of life to Christ, but there's some areas in our heart and our lives that still wander off to Moab. And I wonder if there's some part of your life that's still in Moab, that still wanders off when things get rough, when things get tough. So let me ask you, which one decision could you make today to bring you back to God? What one act could you do to leave Moab and return to Bethlehem? What decisions take you away from him and what decisions bring you closer to him? See, the quality of your life is built on the quality of your decisions. One of the best decisions for most of us here has been to follow Jesus. Because Jesus makes our life better and we get better at life with Jesus. And Jesus invites us to be part of a faith community. And Jesus invites us to be part of this amazing opportunity of life-changing transformation, right? Community is so very important because if you don't have community in your life, you go looking for community. And I think that's what Ruth did. She didn't have the community she had when she had Naomi. And so she went looking for community and she found it there. Connection and relationship because when you don't have that in your life, you long for it, you desire it because you're innately made to have connection and relationship with other people. And that's what Jesus offered us, right? He presents us a unique community of faith that everyone could be part of, regardless of your background, regardless of your history, regardless of your race, regardless even of your past religion. All of us are invited to be, to be part of this amazing community of love and embrace and forgiveness and restoration, regardless of our past. A community that encourages you and uplifts you and supports you and teaches you the value of relationship with God and people. And I think that's why Ruth followed Naomi. Because it was the only community left. This is a decision that should be easy. When your values are right. To be part of something that will benefit you. So if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus. You have that opportunity today. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Hanging out at church doesn't make you a follower of Christ. You get an opportunity to decide today. So like Ruth, let her decision, Ruth's decision, let her to a better future. And if you read the rest of the story in Ruth, you'll have some amazing story of restoration and relationship. So I want to ask you one more time. We remember the big decisions. But what about the little ones? 
How can we get smarter in trying to make every decision count? Because every decision impacts your life. Every decision takes you on a path or a direction, whether you want to go or not. You're not really determined by you. You're determined by the decisions you make, which will take you to where you're going to be. You think you're in control. In a way you are, but your decisions direct the path of your life. And that's why when I found out about Jesus, I made him my chief decision. Because he is the most important decision in this world. So let me close by asking you two questions. Number one, what one decision could you make? What one action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and legacy? We often talk about the big ones. We've talked about that before. But what about the small ones, the ones that you get up every Sunday and decide to be here? The ones where you get up in the morning and decide to give God some thanks and maybe read a scripture. Or before you go to bed, you give God thanks. It sets your heart at a position of gratefulness. It sets your heart in a place of thankfulness and perspective. All those small decisions ultimately makes a life. So what small decision can you take that would change your life? Number two, how can you make decisions that take you closer to God? What decision today can help you take you closer? And not wander from Him, but come closer to Him. When we serve in church, we're connected with this community and we serve with other Christ followers. When we attend life groups, we're sharing stories of uplifting and faith and that people can encourage you and help you. When you're part of community, you begin to grow in faith. So don't exclude yourself. Be part of the community, a faith community that Jesus created so we can all flourish and grow together. Be part of Jesus' community. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.